but you know, tells us about the free ice cream in there. But also, he's our guy when it comes to volunteering. Um, if you're if you've been coming around and you just would love to pitch in and help, you'd like to serve in some way. Um, we're a church made up of volunteers who who set up and tear down everything that we that you see. So when when we get here, basically beyond the chairs, there's really nothing else. And so and then it's all torn down in uh, not long after our service. But he coordinates all that effort. And so. Um, there's four ministry teams that serve to help put a lot of those things together. And so if you're interested in learning more about that, on our connection card, there's actually a, um, a little box you can check about volunteering. And so he'll get in touch with you if you'd like just to know what that would be all about. Um, that's one great way to meet people. Um, and also it's one great way to just get plugged in to the life of our church. And you might feel like, I don't really know how to get plugged in. That's really a good starting point for many people. And so... Really glad that all of you have decided to come to worship with us this morning. And uh, let's pray again as we get started. Father, thank you for gathering us here. Thank you for calling us, Lord, to um, a relationship with you, Lord. Many of us have responded to that and have begun to walk with you. And some are here because they're investigating what that would look like, what that would mean. And God, I pray you'd speak to us right where we're at. Lord, we're all at different places, dealing with different things. And so, God, I just pray that... You, the living God, with your living word, would connect dots in our lives, Lord, and just help us to understand how this life um, works. Lord, we pray that your your word, the Bible, would make sense to us, God, this morning, Lord, as we look into it. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I brought this up last service. Um, we sang a song, Adoration. We just sang this song, Receive Our Adoration. And it was, you know, it's a song that our congregation really likes to sing. It says, receive our adoration, Jesus, Lamb of God. Receive our adoration, how wonderful you are. There's really a statement there that we're making. Like, God, you're way up here, and I'm not. Like, receive our adoration, God. You're, you're worthy of us, of all of our praise. You're worthy of our adoration, of us bowing our hearts, turning our eyes to you, lifting our hands. There's a statement in there that says, we surrender to the truth that all we need is found in you. To sing this song, to say, you know, all we need is found in you, I think it's a bold song to sing. God, receive our adoration. I'm gonna, I'm gonna live to worship you. I'm gonna run hard after you. Receive my praise. Receive my life. All we need is found in you. To really believe that, to really sing that and to live that, it means we're striving after him and we're not trying to hold on to other things in this life. We're not trying to grab, but I know myself. And, and, I'm like, God, I want you, I, I do want to praise God with my life, with my whole heart, but I also acknowledge that there are things in my life that I want. To sing, you know, all we need is found in you. Do I really believe that? Because I find myself striving towards a relationship with God, but also trying to grab some things along the way. All we need is found in you. That, that is a statement that I, I think I'd like to wrestle a little bit with this morning because it ties into what passage we're going to look at this morning. Um, is all that we need found in Christ? Is that enough for us? Is that enough for you? A relationship with Him. Is that enough if, if that means that you have nothing else? Let's say that relationship means that you're totally broke, homeless. Let's say He sends you off somewhere where you're just stripped away from all the comforts of your current situation, what if that is what it means for you? What if it means living with some things that you don't like, but 
you're saying, all we need is found in you. You know, I'm okay with the way I am. I'm okay with my struggles, my weaknesses. I think we struggle with this. And I think in, in Christendom and in the Christian world, I think there's wrong theology or wrong understanding of, of how God works as it relates to our needs and because I want some things in this world. I want God to fix some things in this world. I want God to fix some things in me right now. I realize I'm, I'm, I'm promised a relationship with Him for all eternity. I, I realize I've, I've made Him Lord of my life. I'm going to heaven. I realize I have something to look forward to. But right here now on this earth, there's some things I'd really like Him to change in me. And I'm sure you feel the same way. Like, you know, there's certain things about my appearance or certain things about my, just some, you know, I'll call them handicaps, some areas where I feel like I'm really not that great at. And in the Christian world, you might turn on the TV and you think, you know, I've got some, I've got some things in my life I don't like. And the guy on the TV says, you don't like those things? You don't have to have those things anymore. You know, just send us some money and I'll, I'll pray for you and those things will be gone because God doesn't want us to suffer. God doesn't want us to have pain. God doesn't want us to have limitations in life. He doesn't want us to have any weaknesses. And so there's this idea, I think, that we subtly get challenged to believe, like, I shouldn't struggle in this life. Um, and this whole idea that our song comes up because we're like, you're all I need. But then again, we realize, man, but I want some things in this life. I really want some things. I want him to deal with some things in me, some limitations that I have. I'd like him to change some things. And that fits into what we're looking at this morning, this idea of a paradox. A paradox is this. A paradox is a statement or proposition that seems self-contradictory or absurd, but in reality expresses a possible truth. There's some of these kinds of statements in the Bible. Webster says it's a tenet contrary to received opinion. Many things about following Christ feel like a paradox. And when you read some passages of Scripture, they can attack some widely accepted opinions that we have as, as Americans, as Christians even, that we think. Because we hear some things in the Bible and then we get challenged with like the way we feel about it. And so it, it presents a struggle, a paradox. You know, so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at how God views our weaknesses. Because like, I want God to fix my weaknesses. I want God to change my weaknesses right here and right now. Hopefully what this will do is, as we look at God's Word, that this message will encourage you as He speaks. If you'll allow God to speak to you, I, I, I know that He can encourage you in this area of our weaknesses. So we're going to look at a passage. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And it says this. It's up on the screen as well. It's in your listening guide. Or if you brought a Bible, you can turn there. It says this. It says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. This is a guy named Paul. Paul speaking. He's the one who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. God used this man to take the gospel the message about Jesus to the Gentile people. Beyond the Jewish world, Paul was the guy that kind of charted new territory and went after the Gentiles. Because of Paul, um, you know, the fact that the church reached America, I mean, this whole missionary movement and the way the, the way the message of Jesus eventually left just the, you know, the land of Israel and that whole region, the fact that we have, you know, this is all Partially because of Paul's, you know, call to take the gospel outward. He was one that God used to just kind of, to help pioneer the movement of Christianity. 
And so in this passage, Paul is speaking, and he was a privileged person. Because God chose him to do something so significant as to spread Christianity to the Gentile world, he was, he was in a privileged spot. And because of that, God, with privileges, you get some, or with that responsibility, you get some privileges. And one of those privileges was God gave him some insights, some visions and revelations that were different from the common person. So he's addressing that. He says, just look at it again. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited. Because he realized he's a pretty privileged person. He's, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So something happens to Paul. Something, there's, a, there's this thorn in his flesh that is tormenting him. Like a messenger, this is a messenger of Satan to torment. This idea of torment means, it's this idea of to beat, to strike with the fist, this constant recurring problem that Paul dealt with. And he continues on. He says, three times, three times, he said, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. God, take this away. He, he kept pleading with God, take this away, this thorn in his flesh, this persistent problem. But he said to me, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. This whole phrase, this verse 10, if you, if you look at, oh, it's not, sorry, not in there, I'm reading the rest of the passage. Oh, there it is. Thank you guys. Look at verse 10, it's, you know, therefore I will, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. These words mean that whenever you boast in your weaknesses, whenever you, whenever you acknowledge your weaknesses and say, you know, God can work through them, he puts this tent of power. There's this covering that rests upon us. This spiritual tent of power. I'm not sure what that looks like, but symbolically, God does some things. He brings, he's, he, he adds something into our lives when we, when we deal with our weaknesses in a different way. Verse 10 says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. In insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now this is coming from a guy who knows struggle. If you look a few chapters back, you'll see some of the things that he dealt with. I mean, he was in, in a pretty bad situation. Just to give you some context here. There were some people who were kind of bragging about themselves. False leaders that risen up in the church. And so Paul says, you know, he almost kind of says, that ain't nothing. And then, none of you guys watched that comedian, but I was a, never mind. <laughs> that ain't nothing. Paul came back at these, these guys who were bragging about their strengths, and he came back at them by talking about all these bad things that happened to him. He says, you know, he says, are they servants of Christ? I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. He's not talking about drugs. He's talking about plummeted with rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move because of his, he was in danger. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. 
He's like, man, my life's been a big mess. He's like, I've got all these horrible weaknesses and these struggles that I walk through. And then at the end, this verse, verse 10, he says, you know, whenever we boast in our weaknesses, Christ's power rests, rests on us. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That right there is backwards thinking. That's a paradox, isn't it? When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Do we really believe that? Paul believed it. From the way we normally think, I'm generally frustrated with my weaknesses. I know my weaknesses very well. And I'm frustrated with them. And many times we turn to God and we say, God, take this pain away. Immediately fix this situation. I don't know what you're going through today. But I'm sure you're here and you have some sort of a thorn in your flesh. Something that is persistently a problem in your life. There's this issue that is not letting up. It could be a number of things. It could be emotional. Just depre- Maybe you're dealing with depression. Maybe there's some things that have gone wrong in your life. Maybe you've lost someone close to you. And there's just these things that you're hurting and it's just the source of your pain is not going away. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's physical. There's all sorts of possible responses to the pain that we face. Some, some responses that people choose is some people get bitter. Whenever there's pain that comes in our life, they just get bitter and they blame God for robbing them of the good life. God, it's your fault. Take this away. This is all your fault that I'm dealing with this weakness. Or some people, they wallow in the pain and they just live a defeated life, giving up the will to fight. Giving up. Other people, they just kind of look at the pain and they decide, I'm going to, I'm going to go at this head on. So they grit their teeth. They put on this brave face and this front, and they're determined to just endure the pain that they're in to the very end. But what happens over time, eventually even those people collapse out of just exhaustion because the pain, the source of pain is too heavy. And when God doesn't take away the pain immediately, sometimes we think, God, He must not exist. He must not be there. Or maybe He can't take away the pain. Maybe there's some things that even God can't fix, that He's limited. But... There's more going on. What we learn in this passage is this, is that he is more concerned with our long-term good than our immediate relief. He's more concerned with our long-term good than our immediate relief. And that's a quick summary of where we're going. That's part of the paradox. And it's key that if we don't get this, if we don't understand this, then as we walk with him and we hit downturns, we're going to have the wrong understanding. We're going to think, God should be able to take this away. And we hear people saying, God can take it away. Send us your money and we'll, we'll ask God to take it away for you. We've got a great track record. And, and we get confused over, well, does God care? Is He really there? And, but God is very concerned about our long-term good. Let's say you're in debt. Let's say you're in debt, deep in debt. And one night you pray to God and before you go to bed, you say, God, you're my friend. I really love you. Please, please help me. You're so powerful. And I'm just asking you one thing. Would you please, when I wake up, give me a a way out of debt? I don't know what it is, God, but if you love me, would you please just, when I wake up, cause the phone to ring. Let me have an email in my inbox. Let me have a, you know, a special delivery at my door. Your debt has been paid. The, the cards, the companies, they can't, God, could you? I know you could do it. You're all powerful. Why? Why wouldn't you do that? 
Then we wake up, check the inbox, check the mailbox, check the door, check the voicemail. And there's nothing there. And we get mad at our friend, God. God, I thought you were my friend. I thought we were close. I, I thought, everybody told me that this is how that worked, God. And But if we don't understand God's ways, we get discouraged. Because we want the immediate fix. And the truth is, he will help us. He'll provide strength to help us to make new choices, to pay things off, to be diligent, to work harder. You know, we, we know that we the answer for debt, the answer for any kind of problem, you know, the immediate fix is not what we need because if it were to happen, we'd find ourselves in the same spot, wouldn't we? If, if the character, if the reasons we got ourselves there aren't addressed. So God's more concerned with the big picture. He wants to show us what got us to that place. He wants to do some things in our life. He's more concerned about the big picture than our comfort. So in this passage, we learn a few things. And these are in your outline. The first thing is this. God permits the pain in our lives for his purposes. He, he just allows some things for our own purposes. Look at 2 Corinthians 12. Again, it says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. You know, Paul had these amazing insights because of his role. But he says, Because of that, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Paul had been given these revelations from God. One of them, he was walking on a road. Before he'd become a Christian, he was a strong, well-educated Jewish man who was intent on exterminating the followers of Christ. And so he was on a road in order to find more Christians. He's on the Damascus road to find more Christians to kill them. And the resurrected Jesus appears to him in person and and... He has a conversation with Paul, has a plan for him. That's a pretty amazing thing. That does not happen. That's this rare revelation. Another time, Paul gets this vision and he's told, you're going to be the one to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Another time, Paul gets this vision that he's going to go to this area called Macedonia. And he's wanting to go one direction and God's Spirit gives him this vision about a man saying, hey, come over here to this area in Macedonia. These are special situations you know we don't typically have revelations from god do we i mean so paul's given these rare opportunities another time in the verses before that it says he's talking about how he was taken up into heaven and he sees this vision in heaven and it was so real that paul says i don't even know if i was there or if i was having a vision i don't know if i was in the body i don't all i know is this god gave me this amazing vision and you know, people are probably like, all right, Paul, this guy gets visions all the time. And But these are just a few. God gave him these visions because he was a privileged man. He was quite a privileged character, but the Lord also took great measures to ensure humility in Paul's life and dependence by allowing, by permitting this thorn in the flesh, which was not a mere splinter. So he gives, he gives Paul this high status with all this privilege, but then he gives him a thorn in the flesh in order to counterbalance the privilege that Paul had. This idea of the thorn in the flesh, it's not just like he rubbed up against a rose bush and, oh, got a thorn, and dig that thing out. But look at the way he describes the thorn in the flesh. You know, a messenger of Satan. People have tried to guess at what this was in his life. Commentators, people who study the Bible and really just dig deep into it, they say it could have been like an eye problem. That's probably the most common thought, is that Paul had this persistent eye problem. Don't know what that was, but maybe an eye problem. Others think it was maybe an earache or a headache that just 
Something that just did not go away. Maybe it was opposition. He was just describing it as, man, these people are like a thorn in my flesh, you know, and from, you know, messengers from Satan to torment me. Just whatever it was, though, it was this real and constant pain and source of pain and trouble. And we know what the reason was. The verse tells us to keep him from becoming conceited, to keep him humble. We can learn. We can learn a few things from this. One is God is working to balance our lives and bless. He's trying to balance our lives and to bless our lives. He puts burdens on us and blessings at the same time for our own good. He does this. He kind of mixes some things into the course of our life because he doesn't want us to grow proud. One of the non-negotiable principles in Scripture is that God hates pride. He hates the proud. God hates the proud, he says. And so what God does, it makes sense that he would work to keep his people humble. He'll do that however he has to do that. He'll keep introducing elements that would require us to choose humility because he doesn't want us to to get overinflated in our thinking, in our mind. Another thing we can learn from this passage is that God even uses Satan. Satan's work for our own benefit. This is kind of a strange thought to get our minds around. God would use Satan. But if God permitted this for Paul, we should also expect the same for us. A messenger of Satan to torment Paul. Really, an angel of Satan. Literally, a demon. These aren't happy angels of Satan. These are, you know, he's saying a demon, something tormenting me. And if God permitted Paul to be worked on by Satan, why would he expect any different from us? There's a story I was reading real early this morning, just kind of this whole thought, looking back to the to Job. And Job is this righteous man that gets tested. And he, Satan goes to God and says, there's no one righteous. There's, and God says, have you seen my man Job? He's righteous. He's, you know, he walks with me and he, and he well, and, and God allows Satan to torment this man, this righteous man. See, God can use Satan in his, in the bigger picture, God can even use Satan's work for our own benefit. Martin Luther said this about the devil. He said, the devil is God's devil. Meaning that he's not able to just run off on his own and, and God's like, where'd he go? He's out there. Oh, man, I got, let's catch him, angels. You know, where'd he go now? And, you know, God, the devil is God's devil, Martin Luther said. John Piper, modern day pastor, scholar, he, he puts it this way. He said, Satan is real and terrible. All his designs are hateful, but he's not sovereign. God is. See, he's limited. It's comforting for me to know that God even can use Satan's work for his purpose, and God is still in control. Satan's not unlimited in his abilities. He's, he is very much confined to the areas that God has allowed. Paul goes on to show us this point. We must learn to accept what we need when we don't get what we want. That's kind of what we get in the, in the verses, starting at verse 8. We need to learn to accept the things that we need. If God does not relieve the pressure, look at what he says. Three times, Paul said, so there's this thorn in my flesh. And three times he said, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The idea is that Paul went to God on three special, separate occasions to ask for this problem, this thorn in his flesh to be taken away. He set aside time and he just asked God, God, would you take it away? God, I could serve you so much better. This is what we would think. 
God, I have these persistent, this persistent health problem. I could serve you so much better if you took it away. I could be such a better dad if I didn't have this thorn, this pressure, this financial issue in my life, this thing that, or just the fact that, that I am this way. There's some things about me that I, that I was born in with these limitations. God, if you took those things away, I could be such a better husband. I could be, and we have these thoughts that come to our mind. If you only took it away, God, I could do so much. But Paul, he says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord. And what we see in this is we see how to deal with the pain. How do you deal with the pain? This is how. You take your trouble to God in prayer. You take, you continually take your trouble to God in prayer. God, his answer to Paul's prayer was not to just give Paul what he wanted, but what he really needed instead. He gave him what he needed to bear up under the pain. And this is helpful when we're working through stuff. It gives us perspective to be encouraged to move on. It helps us know, all right, there's some things that God's doing. God has not forgotten about me. But this is really the heart of prayer. We keep coming to him. We tend to think prayer is a way to get what we really want. But as you grow, as you grow in maturity, you understand God more and more. And you understand that prayer is one of the ways that he makes you into the person that he wants through prayer. It's not just praying to get what we want. He makes us through prayer to become the type of person he wants. And so God didn't change the situation in Paul's life by taking away the pain. He added a new element, a new ingredient. That was grace. He added God's, he gave his grace. We sing songs, your grace is enough. And, and this is what, grace is God's unmerited favor. It's described as, as his loving kindness, his mercies. And grace means two things for us. One is it's the goodwill of God towards us. And it's the good work of God within us. That's grace. And from this passage, we learn a few things. One is the grace that we are given with, with pain is of greater value than removing the pain. When God gives us grace in the midst of our pain, it's more valuable than if he had just lifted the pain out of our lives and took things away and made us coast through lives. Or just If we had a vote, we'd all vote no pain, right? All those in favor of pain, you know. We'd all vote no pain. God, I want no pain. But many times the grace given, God's mercy, His loving kindness, the relationship that we have with Him is of greater value. Also, it might not be the best thing for us or for any of our requests to be granted. We need to pray, God, I want to pray in submission to Your will. Whatever You want for me. God, I'm making this request, but I leave it in Your hands. I trust You with it. Do whatever You want with this. God often has something better in mind than just the immediate answer to our prayer. And so trouble, when we hit trouble, it teaches us to pray. But persistent, constant trouble teaches us to be constant in prayer. And many times God does not grant the request with a yes, but instead he just changes the person who's asking. And again, that's helpful perspective for us. The fact that God's trying to do something in in the bigger scheme of things in our life. That is what prayer is all about. Another thing we learn from Paul is this. Accepting pain and weakness is key to moving forward. It's, you see this in Paul's situation. He accepted some things. Paul didn't just stop and only pray. I've seen this. People have a problem and they'll just stay put praying. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk to them about it. And they'll say, you know, I've been praying about this and it's not changing. Praying about this, praying about this, praying about Would you pray for me about this? Sure. Pray for you about that. 
I'm praying about it. I'm praying about it. I'm praying about it. Would you pray? Yep, I'll pray. But they get stuck right there. And they're like, I don't know what to do because God's not answering my prayer. And, and then what happens is he must not care. We get bitter. But Paul, he didn't get bitter. He didn't give up. He didn't grit his teeth and just decide, I'm going to do life without God because I'm getting ripped off here. Paul was a great example of someone who had pain, but he pushed through the pain despite the feeling, despite what was going on, in spite of the trouble. He pushed through that stuff. He accepted God's answer and he moved on. The verse says this. In, in the passage, it says, you know, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Verse 9 says, but he said to me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. The phrase, but he said to me, the verb there that's used reads this way. He once and for all said to me. Like, Paul prayed three times, pleading with God, and then God's response, once and for all, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. He settled the issue with, with this statement. And Paul accepted the answer, and he moved on. He said, this is from God. This is where I'm at. These weaknesses are going to be part of my life. I'm accepting that. God's grace is enough. There was no whining in Paul. There was no sense of entitlement. Jesus did the very same thing in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to die. He knows his death is coming. And he prays, God, this is my paraphrase, God, is there any other way? Is there any other way than me being arrested, tortured, beaten, spit upon, the wrath of God, your, the, the wrath of the Father placed on me? Is there any other way to redeem this people? And he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. He accepted God's will, the Father's will, and he moved on. Paul did the very same thing. And when we rail against God and throw a lifelong fit, we just find ourselves getting stuck where we're at. And God, God is not able to use the pain to accomplish his purposes in our life. And we stay in this spot for years. So there, there's likely some things in your life that fit into this whole category. That, that God may be trying to give you the strength through His grace to bear up under and to move forward. And Paul's a real example. He is someone who praised God in the pain. And God was able to do something in him in no other way than through this pain. A final truth we learn on the backside is this. We receive God's strength when we acknowledge our weaknesses. This is where the strength comes, acknowledging our weaknesses. There's two ways to feel good about yourself. One is to hide your weaknesses and pump up your strengths. To minimize the obvious weaknesses and talk all about how good you are. Bragging about your strengths. Or humbling yourself before God and just recognizing the value that He's already placed on you. And that there's no need to pump or brag about ourselves. That God has made us good. He's done some things in us. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. later part he says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. For that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the paradox right there. Again, when I am weak, then I am strong. It doesn't seem right, but this is reality in this life. God works through our weaknesses our strength, you see this in your outline, our strength is often God's rival. Our weakness is His servant. God, our strengths, man, God, 
he opposes the proud. When we start talking and, and resting and focusing only on our strength and operating only on our strength, that's, again, arrogance, God goes after that. So our strength is often God's rival. Our weaknesses, though, that's where he can really use us. To see God work through our weaknesses is amazing. The core issue in our life is God's glory. We were made to bring him glory. That's why he created us, to bring him for the praise of his glory, to bring him honor. And any time we live for ourselves, our lives lose meaning because we're, we're going after our glory, not his own. It loses purpose and meaning. So the more you and I surrender our weaknesses, the better our life gets. God, this is, this is where I'm at. I guess you, and you know that. Would you still use me? I'll, I'll do whatever you ask me to do despite these things. I'll even use these things if you can, Strengthen these things so that they'll become stronger. My weaknesses become stronger because of you. Then God, I'll use I'll, I, the weaker the instrument, the more glory that God gets. Whenever the weaker the vessel, the weaker the person acknowledging our weaknesses, the more glory God gets. Because there's no other way God can. You're like, wow, how did God accomplish through that situation, through that person with their limitations? The more he's glorified, what happens is the more his power takes center stage in our lives and we don't get the credit. Who's in the starring role of your life? Who is it? Is it yourself? Is it someone else? Is it God? You know who gets the glory by whoever's getting the credit. And whoever you talk about the most, that's the person in, that's the one getting the glory. That's the one getting the credit. God wants to be in the starring role. One last thing, God is in the habit of turning weakness into strength. This is his way. Hebrews 11 gives us a quick summary of some men who were in their weakest points God used. He says this, And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, routed foreign armies. In our weaknesses, we rely on God. We have to rely on God with our weaknesses, don't we? And by doing that, He works through our lives. His power flows through us. When He does things through the weak, He gets all the glory because there's no other possible way to explain it. Notice that Paul doesn't... He's not given an answer or an explanation. Instead, God gives him a promise when he pleads. And his promise is, my grace is sufficient for you. That He's given a promise. He puts his hope, he puts his faith in that promise. It leads him to a life of hope. He stays focused on what it was he's trying to do. Wherever you're weak, wherever you're weak right now, trust God. Trust Him. Acknowledge and accept your weaknesses and allow God through His power to, to still work through you to accomplish His purposes in you. In just a moment, we're going to be receiving our offering. And on the bottom of your outline, you'll see there's some next steps. They're also on here. And if you want, you can pull this out. And if you'd like to check any of these next steps just as a response, then it lets us know just what's going on in your life in these different areas. We're able to pray more effectively for you. But the first one is just maybe memorizing 2 Corinthians 12.9, that verse, which is, but He said to me, once and for all, that idea, my grace is sufficient for you. So if you want to memorize that verse, or maybe you want to pray every day this week, just deciding, I'm going to pray every day this week that God will give me the grace to deal with a specific thorn in my life, a specific problem. Maybe there's something causing you 
pain that you just you already know what it is. Ben, Cody, you can go ahead and come on up if you like. But you can ask God. The good thing is with our pain, we can ask God to take it away, just like Paul did. It, I know there's pain in our lives, and it's okay to ask God. God, would you take it away? We don't want to demand it, but ask Him and pray in submission to His will, His the His bigger picture for our lives. But then let Him decide what is best. Just leave it there. God, I'm going to bring this to you. I I give you full permission to answer this in whatever way you want. But persistently praying. Another thing, ask God for strength where I'm frustrated by my weaknesses. Just ask God. Help me not to turn on you because oftentimes we look at our pain and we get mad at God. Rather than getting mad at God, turn that frustration and just say, God, help me to trust in you rather than turning on you constantly with with these limitations that I've got. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I'm sure that as we've been talking about 